This is our first of six episodes in our mini-series involving previewing the MLB, so let's go ahead and start with the AL East. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And somebody roll the intro music. Welcome back to Benchwarming Podcast. It's Joe coming at you again. I'm really excited to announce this. We're about to start a six-episode quote-unquote series all leading up to the start of the baseball season. Basically, what's going to happen is I'm going to go through division by division and essentially just break down a couple of questions slash things to be looking at for each team headed into this new season. As I mentioned in my last podcast, they're going to be about 10 to 15 minute podcasts, kind of mini episodes. But in the end, I'm going to look at every team in the MLB. I'm going to look at, like I said, each individual division. I'm going to look at win totals kind of projected right now. I'm also going to do something where I'm going to add at the very end who I think might have the best chance of winning MVP for each division. Obviously, each division has more than one candidate at MVP for the most part, but I'm kind of limiting it down to one just to make the decision a little bit tougher. So that's kind of what this is going to look like. They're going to be released starting today, whatever this date is that I release this three days a week for the next two weeks. So so I'm probably going to release the first one on the 18th, which would mean it's going to be the 18th, the 20th, and the 22nd, and then the 25th, the 27th, and the 29th. I don't really have much else to say. It's kind of going to be obvious what I'm going to be doing as I post them. So let's just go ahead and jump on in. I'm going to start with the AL first, and we're going to go out east and look at the AL east. The first team that I'm going to kind of bring some things up for are going to be the Baltimore Orioles. They did acquire Jonathan Villar in a trade, and he did hit 19 home runs. He stole 62 bases. This is the only reason why I looked this up. He stole 62 bases in the season. He hit 19 home runs, and that was three seasons ago. He finished as a number four overall player in fantasy that year if you play fantasy baseball. If not, I mean, that's still pretty impressive. Now that he has been traded, he is 27, so he's still pretty young. I think that he does have some upside going into the year for 30 to 35 if not more steals and of course playing out there for Baltimore that is a little bit more of a hitter friendly ballpark so that'll be interesting to see how he kind of goes along for the Orioles they do have kind of a deep sleeper that's coming up and it's a shame that he's on the Orioles because I feel like if he was on any other team he would be getting a lot more focused right now than what he is but they have a third baseman in I'm gonna possibly mess this name up Renato Nunez He was putting up some very big numbers when he was in the minors. He was over at Nashville. He had 32 home runs and had a solid 891 OPS in September. Back when he hit, back in the season, he hit 32 home runs, which I believe, if I remember correctly, was in the 2017 season. So two years ago. I don't think it was this past year, but he's coming up. So that's kind of interesting to see. And I think he could potentially be a big player in the Baltimore rebuild. That's really all I've got for the Orioles. I mean, they lost 115 games last year, so I'm not really expecting much from them. So now let's kind of jump into the rest of the division that I'm actually a little bit more interested in. Baltimore is just kind of that bottom team. I mean, it's it's tough to say, but that's kind of true. So I'm going to look at the Red Sox next. And last winter, last offseason, the big, big name free agent that was waiting to get signed was J.D. Martinez. And it was kind of question coming into the season if his power numbers would be the same going 
to Fenway and and being a player as a right-handed hitter that's going to have to focus on trying to hit over that green monster and do everything and his power numbers were a question and were a bit of a concern however last year he did lead the majors with 130 RBIs he finished second in home runs with 43 he also finished second in batting average there's no reason to think that he wouldn't be able to repeat those numbers since He is in the American League. He does have that opportunity to be kind of platooned out in the outfield, but also be a DH. So he's not necessarily being worn down. So there's no reason to think that he can't repeat and be up for another big season this year of finishing in, honestly, finishing in the top five in all three of those, again, home runs, RBIs, and batting average. Another thing to kind of look at is the past three seasons in Boston, they had Craig Kimbrell as their closer. He averaged 36 saves and really was the anchor of that bullpen and really helped them to the World Series title last year. And that is possibly the biggest question for any team coming into this season that we see is who's going to fill in that spot? Who's going to become that new closer for the defending champs? There's not really a clear front runner that I've been able to find. However, one dark horse that I was kind of looking up In 42 and two-thirds MLB innings, there is a pitcher for the Red Sox who has a 1.69 ERA. Now, granted, a lack of exposure, a lack of knowledge as to what he could do could potentially be the issue considering he's only pitched 42 innings in the MLB. But Ryan Brazier could potentially come in and fill that spot. If anything, he is going to be a good option out of the bullpen if he doesn't get that closer spot. And kind of the other thing to look at is outside of that Craig Kimbrell loss, they re-signed Nate Eovaldi and Steve Pierce. For the most part, they bring back almost everyone from the team last year that, you know, helped them to the World Series that led the majors in scoring. And they really didn't get a whole lot of production at some of their positions like catcher. But here we sit, they return almost everyone. Dustin Pedroia, should come back healthy. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how this team changes or if they stay the same. Because like I said, they really, outside of Craig Kimbrell, didn't lose any key pieces in this team. I think it's going to be cool to essentially see the same team from last year and see how they've developed, see how they've changed, see how Mookie Betts and Rafael Devers and Jackie Bradley Jr., all these kind of key pieces are able to either put it together again or possibly fall apart. Next up are the Yankees. One big free agent signing for them was James Paxton. Bringing in that extra arm is big. However, he does have a little bit of an injury issue. He has not thrown a whole lot throughout his career. Last year, he threw 160 innings, and that was a career high for him. So while he does bring in that next level top of the arm rotation that they were missing behind Cervano. It is going to be interesting to see how he is able to stay healthy if he can. It's also going to be interesting to see if he's able to come out and pitch and hold himself up in this division where there are some pretty good teams if you actually look at the rosters. So that's a big, big thing for the Yankees coming into this season. A big question that kind of is carrying over from last season is going to be Gary Sanchez and why he wasn't playing well. It is kind of thought that he might have been dealing with a shoulder injury for most, if not all, of last season. And if that's the case, if that truly is what was the issue, it could explain why he, you know, only put up a 197 average on balls in play. But I I don't know. I'm not sure why Gary Sanchez didn't play last year. I think a lot of it is 
He just got overhyped when he came in, and he's just not the level of good that everyone expected him to be. So, you know, if he comes back healthy and he really was injured last year, maybe we do see a regression back to his offensive numbers from the 2016-2017 time period. I mean, who knows? Maybe we see more of what we saw last year, and I'm, I'm leaning more towards that. I'm not necessarily banking on a big rebound, but I'm also not expecting a less than 200 average on balls in play. And then the last big question for the Yankees is going to be shortstop up until Didi Gregorius comes back. Right now, he's not expected to be back until at least June, if not later. He did get hurt last year, and up through that point, he really was playing some of the best baseball he had played in his career. Granted, they went out and signed Troy Tulowitzki, so that's interesting. That could be a big help for them in the meantime. But it's going to be interesting to kind of see what happens with them at shortstop and what happens with this team as a whole and see if they're able to set the record for home runs in a season that they just set last year. So that's really all I got for the Yankees. Moving on to the next team that is kind of interesting and has a shot, a very outside shot, albeit, but a shot at a wild card position, and that's the Tampa Bay Rays. Last year, I mean, I think we saw it pretty obviously. Everything came together perfectly for Blake Snell. He had a fantastic 1.89 ERA. He finished with a 21-5 and record. He was the Cy Young Award winner last year. It's going to be really tough to duplicate these numbers. It's going to be tough to duplicate his 11.0K per 9 ratio. It's also going to be really tough to duplicate the .241 average on balls in play that he had because that was the second on That was the second among eligible pitchers in the MLB last year. So it's going to be really interesting to see if everything continues to go up for Blake Snell or if that was just a the stars aligned and everything was perfect for him last year. One thing that really sets the Rays apart from a lot of teams in the MLB right now is they're going to continue to use their practice of having a quote-unquote opener to start a game coming in and pitching an inning or two before they actually bring the starter in and... It's going to be interesting to see how that goes and works out for them. You know, we have heard people possibly using that. We saw it used last year in the NLCS where the Dodgers started someone else to lure out some bats in the Brewers lineup just to help with them and when they brought that starter in. So it's going to be interesting to see if they continue to use that frequently or if it's just something that they're going to use every once in a while. That's Those are the two big things I feel like that are going to be a question for the Rays are, is Blake Snell going to continue to be like he was last year? Will he kind of regress? And if they continue to use this opener, is that actually going to have any effect on their games? Or are they just going to continue to just kind of play it off and be this middling team? I think that they have the potential to be possibly sneaking in as a second wild card. That would mean that both wild cards, I feel like, are going to come from this division. But who really knows at this point? Let's move on to the last team in the division, and that's the Toronto Blue Jays, in case you forgot. I can't wait to see this because I fully expect that sometime in April, May at the latest, we're finally going to see Vlad Guerrero Jr. come up to the big leagues. I think that he is the best prospect that we've seen in a long time. I've watched videos of him playing, and I've watched videos of him taking batting practice and everything, and he's just, he's really good at the plate. He's got some Pretty good defense. I mean, he's not, obviously, he's not his dad, but he's still pretty good. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I think that he does make his way into the MLB at some point this year, coming up to the major league team and finds a permanent spot on the roster and in the MLB for himself in general. Another thing to question is there was a big drop off last year for the Toronto Blue Jays in their pitchers. 
they really, really struggled because both Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez, who are the top two arms in that rotation by far, barely got over the 100 inning mark because they were injured and they were on and off the field. And, you know, both of them have really seen success in the past. But it's possible that, you know, we do see a rebound. It's also possible that we continue to see these injuries just because they do need to be used a lot and they are going to see a lot of time out there. And then I'm going to throw in yet another kind of come up slash person to watch that if he was on a different team, I think would be a little bit bigger of a name coming up. And that's catcher Danny Jansen. He offers upside. We've seen upside that he had before he came up to the majors last year in August. He did hit 275 with 12 homers. And we don't really see a whole lot of power from the catcher position. So to see a good average with 12 homers, he also had an on-base percentage of 390. All of those things are going to be big for the Blue Jays as they go forward because they really don't have a solid bat in that lineup right now until until they bring up Vlad Jr. and until they bring up Danny Jensen. I really don't expect a whole lot from the Blue Jays. I do expect them to be fourth in the division. I expect them to be below 500. But those are kind of the big things I see for them. If they are able to get top of the rotation production from Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez and get more than just 100 innings, get closer to that 150 to 200 area, they could potentially be a dark horse to come up and finish third in division. I don't really expect that to happen, but you never really know. Those are kind of the big things that I see for each of these teams in the AL East. So now let's get on to the projected win totals right now. This is how it stacks up from what I've been able to find. It's looking like the Yankees are going to be first at 98 and 64. Then they have Boston at 95 and 67. Tampa Bay rolls in at third at 86 and 76. And Toronto comes in fourth with 74 and 88 record. And then there's the lowly Baltimore Orioles who come in at 56 and 106. I do agree with the bottom three of this being Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Baltimore. I do expect Baltimore to lose 100-plus games again this year. However, I think that, like I said when I was talking about Boston, they return a lot of their key players, and if they're able to find at least one or two solid players to come in and close games down to replace Craig Kimbrell, they will return to the top of this division. They will win 100-plus games, and that's kind of how I see it. I think that in the end, it's going to be Boston, New York, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and then Baltimore with Boston winning 100 plus games and the Yankees being somewhere between 98 to 100 wins. I think that that 86 win mark for Tampa Bay is pretty even, pretty good. If they can get up to the 91 mark, I do think that they stand a chance at getting that second wild card spot. Again, like I said, that's going to put both wild card spots in the AL East, but that's just kind of how I see it right now as an outside chance. I don't think that it's actually going to happen for the Rays this year. I think they're still one or two years away from actually making that extra step that they need to get into the playoffs. And finally, my MVP candidate. I think the best person to win it in this division is kind of obvious. I think it's going to be Mookie Betts. I think he's going to come have another strong season for the Red Sox and pretty much prove why he is a very valuable person and very valuable player in general on this Boston offense and defense. So that's all I got for the AL East. Stick around to catch up on the AL Central coming at you next time we release. Until then... Peace.